Would you join me in praying? Gracious Heavenly Father, as we take time to look into your word, we ask you to open our hearts and minds and by your spirit to speak into our lives. Lord, help us to hear from you and to respond. Um, and in the power of the Spirit, to be changed, to be more like Jesus. Lord, equip and encourage us in all areas of life to live kingdom first, every day of every week of every year, for the honor of our Savior and King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. we get to this season, there is something that is still very magical, even though I'm, I'm not a little kid anymore, and many of the things that used to be magical, are they're not the same any longer, although I get to see some of it with my own kids. There's just something about this season, and one of the things that I enjoy about this season is we watch Christmas movies, cartoons, all of it, and last year, I talked a little bit about Charlie Brown's Christmas. I'm going to talk about Charlie Brown's Christmas again this year because we watched it again. And I really do think it's kind of a love-hate thing. You either like this one or you don't. And I discovered one of the reasons I think that some people don't like it. If you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special on the major broadcasting station, it takes an hour and three minutes to watch the whole thing. If you buy it on iTunes and watch it, it takes 25 minutes. <laughs> Do you know how many commercials are in that show? Like every like six minutes, there's a new commercial segment. No wonder it's hard to read. Listen to, watch, whatever we're doing. I can't talk either, Andy. But I really like that show. And every year that I watch it, I tend, I tend to like it more. And, and this one in particular struck me because it is so parallel to what we're going to talk about this morning. This is just a line from it. Charlie Brown talking to Linus. I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. He's not ready. He's not prepared for Christmas. And in fact, nobody in the entire show, except for Linus, is prepared for Christmas. They're all not what it is, looking for things and trying to get something out of it that's not what it is. And for the most part, it's materialism. Whether it's money or real estate or presents or the biggest pink aluminum tree that Charlie Brown can find, every character is looking for that same kind of thing. And so when Charlie Brown finally says, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? You get one person. And this person has a role very much like John the Baptist, which is what we're studying today, where he steps out and he proclaims, and, and this is what he says, and there were in the same country shepherds low, uh, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. 
And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring unto you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there there with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about. And and then he leaves and kind of everybody's just still trying to figure things out. But he was the one person that seemed to know. And he proclaims it. This is what's going on. This is what you need to be looking for. None of them are ready. But Linus, and he tries to get them ready. That is what John the Baptist is doing. If you would, open up your Bible to Mark chapter 1. Right to our gospel reading. Mark chapter one, and we're starting right at the beginning here. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is essentially a title for Mark's gospel. It's like the opening kind of title for everything he's gonna do for the next 16 chapters. Here's the gospel, and look how it begins. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, begins with preparation, getting them ready. And there's an image here in the ancient world when you had a king or you had somebody of importance coming to visit they would actually send people before them. And those people had the role of making things smooth. Everything from fixing a road or moving a rock or coming to the city to announce who's coming. There was this role of getting the the road and the people prepared. God takes that image, and for John, it's not a literal highway. It's a heart. It's all of the potholes and the ravines and the uneven places in their hearts that John has come to prepare them, prepare that way so that Messiah can walk right in to the life of these people. I am somewhat amazed that they need to get ready. When I started thinking about this, it it almost doesn't make sense initially. They have been waiting for hundreds of years. They've been looking forward to this. They've been thinking about the Messiah. And yet when it comes time for Messiah to come, they aren't ready. How can they not be ready? How can they be looking forward to this all this time and not be ready? To the point that God foreordained that he would send someone to get them ready. And then I started thinking about not just the characters in Charlie Brown, but I started thinking about me. I start looking forward to Christmas right around the time pumpkin lattes come out. That's when I start thinking about it. 
Things start changing. Here's the pumpkins. We've got Halloween coming, then Thanksgiving, and then we've got Christmas. But I start looking forward to it. I start thinking about it. I actually start thinking about, I'm going to be going up and getting the tree pretty soon and bringing it down. And like, I'm, I'm excited. My kids are excited. We're talking about it as a family. My family's fighting me at the beginning of November to listen to Christmas songs. Like, we're ready. We're ready for this to come. And yet, I can't tell you the number of times I have woken up on December 24th and went, oh no, I am not ready. Like, I've got presents to buy. I've got things to wrap. I've got stuff to do still. I am like, how did this happen? How did I get to December 24th? I had an entire month and I was not ready. I'm not ready for this whole month as we go through. Like, I'm not, all the things I have to do, all the, the stuff, the demands of time, like, I'm not ready for it. As much as I'm longing and looking forward, I'm still not prepared. That's why I think John had to come. As much as they were longing and looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, they still weren't ready. And so John had to come to prepare them, to take those hearts and get them into a place where they could hear and respond to the Messiah. That's what I want to talk about this morning. How is it that John helped prepare the people to hear and to respond to the Messiah? And what does that mean for us? In what ways do you and I need to be prepared? I mean, the candle this week is preparation. That's what this week is about, right? Later on today, you're gonna get the second installment of the devotional. It's all on preparation. It'll be an entire week of thinking about each day, how can we prepare? What are different ways we can prepare so that we can hear and respond to the Lord? That's what John's doing. So how? How does John do this? Number one, he calls them into the wilderness. He calls them into the wilderness. You see it first in the prophecy, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's where he would be. Hey, they've been looking for a long time for a prophet and for Messiah to come. And now that one has come, he's going to be in the wilderness. And then as you hit verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. Why the wilderness? Why do they have to come out to the wilderness in order to, by the way, hear the message even? He's not in town doing it. They have to come out there. That's part of their preparation. Because he won't proclaim the message till the end here. When we get down to verses 7 and 8, that's when you actually hear the message. But part of their preparation is they have to come out into the wilderness. I found a great description of the wilderness, and it's written by a guy named Wayne Stiles. Uh, he leads people through the Judean wilderness. Here's the quote. Um, it's kind of long, but just listen to this. Very few sites in Israel have some church or a mosque or a settlement or 30 feet of civilization piled on top of them. One of the really cool things that we do when we go to Israel is we go into Capernaum and we see 
we go right where the synagogue is, where Jesus read the scroll, and only the floor is original. And you can see going up the strata where they built on top of it. The places pilgrims come to see today, they show centuries of scars from the ruins and reconstructions of many faiths and people. But in the wilderness of Judea, one can see what the ancients saw. Deep ravines, rocky terrain, barren grades with scant vegetation, horizontal lines cut into the hills that betray generations of flocks that have that have worn trails like terraces along the slopes. Miles and miles of desolate land, interrupted only by an occasional camel, a shepherd with his flock, or a group of Bedouin tents with satellite dishes, which you see as you drive through. It's really an awkward, you see all these tents and things, and there's like satellites sticking out of them. The only sign of modernity. Bleak, inhospitable, stark, and harsh, the wilderness of Judea sits virtually unchanged. That's the wilderness. And, and one of the things that people talk about when they go to Israel, one of the most memorable things they do is this little time that we go into the wilderness. Do communion, and you're just looking out at the desolation. And you feel small. You feel a little bit like, what do I do? What? I can't. Like There's nothing out there that I recognize. It's so different. It's so bleak. And yet there's something beautiful about it. The wilderness. Why call them out? Because they needed it. When you study the wilderness in scripture, you'll see two kind of themes running through. One is a negative theme. One is a theme of it's a parched land. When enemies come in and destroy you, you'll be left like a wilderness. That's the negative theme. And it's even attached to the theme of the 40 years of punishment in the wilderness, where they're all gonna die unless you're under 20. That's the negative side. There's also a very positive side. The wilderness is where Yahweh finds Hagar. The wilderness is where Yahweh meets with Moses in the burning bush. The wilderness is often where Yahweh talks to Moses. That's where he goes out to meet him, is in the wilderness. There are multiple prophets where they talk about the wilderness in a way of God reaching out to his people. That the wilderness was this place where in civilization, in the norm normalcy of their, their routines, it was hectic and busy and fast-paced and too many things distracted them. But in the wilderness, it's bleak and desolate and there's nothing to distract. The people, as you read through the New Testament, they quite often were so distracted that they missed what Jesus was doing. I think about after he feeds the 5,000 and then the disciples get in the boats and Jesus begins to warn them about the leaven of the Pharisees. And it kind of goes in one ear and out the next ear and they're like, oh no, we didn't bring enough bread. What are we gonna do? And they start freaking out about bread. It just, they're so concerned and so moving, they, they miss it completely. He tells them three times what's gonna happen to him. 
And when it happens, they freak out like they'd never heard it before because they just don't get it. During the Passover meal, Jesus tells them some amazing things, but one of the things he ends with is, one of you is gonna betray me. And it's like it goes in one ear and out the next because in the next verse, you know what they're doing? They're arguing about which one of them is the greatest. How do you get there? Like just a complete, you missed it. Like you're so wrapped up and so moving and it's very much like my kids. Grab your jacket before we leave and you get in the car. Where is your jacket? What? Like you answered me even. How did you not get that? Clean your room before we go. Why is your room not clean? What? You even answered me. But they're moving so quickly. It's, it's a little bit like me when my wife says, go do something. And... <laughs> you did not tell me that. I did, and you answered me. Oh. But we're moving so quickly. There's so much going on that we don't, we're not always listening. We're not hearing. And half the time, I think we actually believe we already know what this person's going to say. And so we just jump to a conclusion and go with that. The wilderness slows them down. The wilderness lets them hear. It lets them kind of push away all the noise so they can hear God and not the noise. Have you ever sat on a plane, especially near the engines, and there's that dull, like the whole time, and you can't, like it's hard to have a conversation if you're using the earbuds, because there's even hardly hear. You got the music up full blast, and you could still only barely hear it, because there's that the whole time. I remember having a conversation with a man, and I thought, this is the epitome of blocking out the person you're talking to. They were using big old thick headphones that like completely cover your ears, and they were the bows where you can click the thing that shuts out outside noise. He's got those on in the plane talking to me. And I'm thinking the whole time, you jerk. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm having to yell at you. And at one point he goes, would you please stop yelling? I can hear you. And I'm like, you can't possibly hear me. You're blocking everything out. And then I got Bose headphones. Have you ever used them on a plane? You know what they block out? You can hear people amazingly well. I mean, like, to the point that I get it now. If you don't have something going on in the headphones and you click that thing, I can actually have a conversation with somebody because it doesn't block that range out. The wilderness is like those headphones. It was a way of blocking out all the noise and the speed so they could hear God. We need a wilderness in that sense. We need those times where we step out, especially this season. I mean, I am pretty sure I'm busier now than like I ever am for the other 11 months. We need that wilderness time to prepare so that we can hear God. Here are a couple of suggestions. Maybe it's just a morning a week. Maybe it's a walk, but you don't take headphones. You don't take a cell phone. 
for me, here's one thing I've started doing that has been really, really helpful. I'm sitting in my office. I pull up a psalm, and I begin to use that psalm as a way of praying and communing with God. And I think that's what the wilderness was for them, or could be, a way of communing with God. And so I will, I will read one or two verses of that psalm, and then I will use the language of that psalm to talk to God. And then I'll do a couple more verses, and I'll use that. And it may be that I'm praying about things. It may be that I'm just telling him in light of what I'm reading right here. Lord, here's what I'm going through. But I'm trying to slow down, and I'm using the psalm to help because I don't know about you, but if I just try and sit quietly, that lasts about 20 seconds. And then there's all those things going on in my head. I'm like, what about this or that or that or that or all the noise and you know, the airplane noise is there. You know, it's, but using that psalm has actually been very helpful to me. It gives my mind something to kind of focus on and yet it's very much God. And by the end of it, and it's five minutes, it's not, I'm not taking like an hour, um, although it's been longer at times because it goes really well. But that's one method. I would encourage you if you can do it, maybe once a year, do a retreat, maybe even by yourself. But like, we need some wilderness because there's so much in our lives that it's hard at times to hear over the noise. That was their first prep. He called them into the wilderness. Here was the second prep. Verse four, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, which is kind of amazing in and of itself, but this next part is just staggering. And were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The reason that is staggering is because baptism in first century Jewish thought, it was for Gentiles and for Jews who might need some kind of ritual washing because they did something really bad and made themselves unholy. But in general, the called people of God did not get baptized. That was not for them. For them to submit themselves to baptism was a, an admission of unholiness for the nation. And that is huge. But that's exactly what John was doing. John was calling them out to say, number one, come into the wilderness because I need you to get away from all of this. Slow down and listen to God. And number two, you need a complete turnaround of your life. For you to even be ready to hear from Messiah, you need to recognize something. You have right now your own agendas. You have right now your own ideas about how things are supposed to be. Right now, what you really, really want from God is for him to do the things you already desire. In fact, you're even willing to make your desires his will, whether they are or not. You need to see that right now there's a path you're going down. Remember, he's leveling paths. He's getting them ready. The path you're going down 
It is not a path where you are open to what God wants. It's a path where you're asking God just to do what you want. And you see this as you walk through the Gospels. You see it over and over again where people are really just, we've already got our ways. They try to make Jesus king at one point. Jesus has to get away because that's not what he was there to do. At one point he heals somebody and he says, don't tell people. The guy runs off and starts telling everybody and then the next verses and Jesus couldn't go into towns anymore. Because Jesus has a particular way he wants things done, they just think. We know how things are supposed to be done. They're doing it their way. They've got a path they're going on. And Jesus, you need to fit in with it. Or you need to change. Baptism, repentance, listen to this. It is saying, I'm sorry. It is having regret. It is recognizing something wrong. But it's not limited to that. It's also recognizing this is a path, this is a direction that is not the direction of God and I wanna turn from it. And what he's asking them to do, because it's interesting, he doesn't actually give them the path yet. He just says, I want you to recognize you're on the wrong one. A baptism for the forgiveness of sins because the path you need to be on, I'm getting ready to announce. And then the Messiah is gonna come and he's gonna teach it. Now, part of that path, of course, was revealed in the Old Testament. But there is more to come in Christ. And he says, at this point, I just want you to repent so that you are ready to receive the Messiah. Do you remember the um, Choose Your Own Adventure books? Anybody read those? I mean, 80s and 90s, they were huge, which is perfect for me. And I, I read a number of them. Um, I loved those books. And as I look at them as an adult, there are certain parts of those books that I'm, I'm horrified at. I can't believe 10-year-olds are reading these books. Um, I want to read you just one of the endings to one of these books. Uh, so this is, uh, by the way, you, you've, you, made, you made a choice and you got changed into a pig. Right? So you're a pig now and this is the ending. Dimly, you remember... Pods aren't intended for, excuse me, pigs aren't intended for their fleece like sheep are, nor for their milk like cows are, nor for their eggs like hens. They have only one purpose, one destiny. Sorrowfully in your mind you remember, and now you think about it. All that matters is you are, a, you are pound and pounds of ham and sausage and bacon, and then there's this line, your human memory stirs. You're aware of all of this. You're not just a pig. You're like totally aware that you are a pig and that they are fattening you up. You do have one chance, but you'd better go on a diet. <laughs> I don't think that's appropriate for a 10-year-old. <laughs> but... As I was thinking about the books, here's what's interesting about Choose Your Own Adventures. There is a certain amount of realism to them if you get past the weirdness of them. Here's the realism. You don't have complete autonomy in these books. You do have choices you can make, but you also can't control exactly the outcome of those choices. In fact, you make the choice, 
Then you turn the page to go figure out what happens because you made that choice. That is actually pretty close to life at times. Like we do have choices and we get to make those choices, but we don't always know once we make that choice, like where does it go? But here's the thing. In the Choose Your Own Adventure books, you are making the choice and you are making it based off of what you want, where you hope this will lead, where you hope it won't lead because you're worried about becoming a pig, but it's all based on you. What if you took your life as a very different kind of choose your own adventure and you thought about as I come to each one of my choices, it's not just what do I want. It's not just what outcome do I want. It's, God, what do you want? What step do you want me to take? What step lines up with what I read about in your son? What I read about in your word? If I start thinking those ways and I've got my options, again, I still can't control the outcome, but I at least can control the moment where I'm making decisions, not just for me, but for you. That's part of repentance. It's turning away and saying, well, here's my choice. I wanna go this way. Wait, 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 wait. No, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What, what have I seen you do, Lord? How have you responded to people? How have you responded to circumstances? What kind of values do I learn about? What are the fruits of the Spirit? What if I make my decisions that way? That's what John is getting them ready to do. That's the prep. He calls them to the wilderness and he calls them to repentance so that they're at a heart level ready to make choices for the Lord. Now, I think, I think we need this regularly. I don't think this is a choice that we can make just once. I don't think this is something we can do just once. This Advent season is such a beautiful time to remember this, and yet there is more to it. There's something ongoing. So one of the most beautiful parts in the Charlie Brown show is when Linus is giving his speech. And from the very beginning when you see him, he's carrying his blanket. And Lucy a couple times tries to get him to get rid of the blanket. At one point even you know, tells him what is he gonna do when he's older and he's like, I might make it into a sport coat. <laughs> to never get rid of that blanket. But as he's giving the speech, when he gets to the part where the angels say, fear not, he drops the blanket. Go back and watch it. He drops the blanket. Fear not. What do you think of when you think of these little blankies? The security blanket, right? And he, and he lets it go at fear not. As he's telling the story, as the real, what Christmas really is, what everything is really about, he, it's as if he doesn't need it then because he's got what it really is. Except when he finishes, he picks the blanket back up again and then he leaves. 
And I think that's what we do. We keep picking it back up. We're probably going to do it all our lives, which is why we keep having to go back into the wilderness. It's why we keep having to repent. You see, those, hear me, those actions are not necessarily in and of themselves what God wants from your life. Just going into the wilderness and repenting isn't enough. Those are preparing our hearts so that we can more fully hear and respond to the Lord. That's what they're doing. They're getting us to a point where maybe, I said that's one of the most beautiful parts. I think the most beautiful part is when you get to the end. Because Charlie Brown walks out and he's got his little tree and that's the tree that everybody, you know, oh, you're terrible, Charlie Brown. You can't get anything right. I can't trust you with anything. And as he's walking out, you see the stars, which is a, uh, an allusion back to Abraham. And this whole show is filled with it. And then he hears Linus's words in his head as he's walking. And he's heading back to his house. And he takes this little tree. And, well, it gets back and he, he sees that um, his, his dog has, you know, done its own decoration of the doghouse and put a first place on it. Because that fits with the rest of the show and the materialism and everything that everybody's about. But he walks back and he takes this little tree and he sets it down. And he says, oh, you're not such a bad tree. And he grabs up one bulb and he puts it on it and the whole tree just falls because <laughs> it can't even hold that up. And then he walks away. Here comes the group. But the, the, it comes in on Linus. And just like he was at the uh, play when he gives a speech, he is again the voice. And Linus comes forward and he's got his blankie. The tree is tipped over. And he bends down and he puts it around the tree. And the tree stands up. And they're able to then decorate it all together. And it changes everybody in that time. And when they step back and you're looking at the tree, here's a song they could have started singing, Oh Christmas Tree, but they don't, even though that's center, because that tree was standing for something very different, as was the blanket, as was all of it. They start singing, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. In that moment, everybody is getting it. In that moment, he's laid it back down. And the imagery is laying it at the cross. Exactly what all of us are supposed to be doing. But you're gonna have to do it over and over again. You're gonna have to keep doing it because we keep picking it up. We keep needing the prep so that we can keep hearing and keep responding to our king. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you that you sent him to live as one of us, to show us what you were like, to show us how we were to live, and that he would give everything for us. Lord, help us to prepare well that we might hear from you and we might respond to your son throughout this season and throughout our lives. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.